Just a quick aside before we begin. This episode is the second part of our two-part discussion on bullying in the workplace. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I strongly encourage you do so before listening to this episode. You can download the previous episode from our website, podcast.csmls.org, or from iTunes or Google Play. Having worked with employees who've experienced workplace harassment and bullying at the later stages, so at the, at the stage uh, where they're ready to walk away from their employment, I can speak to the fact that it can be a life-altering altering experience. Um, it's often an extremely demoralizing and isolating experience that has a profound impact on the employee's mental health. That's Casey Wazinski a lawyer practicing at Simpson-Weigel Law LLP. The primary focus of her current practice is on workplace law, which includes employment law, labor law, human rights, and laws that regulate health and safety. She has represented both employees and employers, which gives her a unique insight into the issue of workplace bullying. Casey has seen the impact of bullying through the lens of her clients' experiences. She's seen the personal toll it has taken. Chronic or persistent bullying impacts the employee's ability to enjoy not only their work experiences, but also life outside of work. It can negatively impact relationships with family and friends, and I have seen it lead to temporary and permanent mental health disabilities. You know, it's easy enough to say that employees have a right to a safe work environment, to not be the victim of harassment, bullying, or violence. It's another thing to have the courage to enforce that right. You know, despite the progress that we have made to remove the stigma, it remains difficult for people to speak out. My employee clients um, have a fear of making the situation worse, a fear of losing the respect of their colleagues, a fear of being reprised against and losing their jobs, which of course is their livelihood. And so of course I'll, that results in uh, people waiting too long to address the issue. And sometimes by the time that they do, and no matter what the employer response is or how well the situation is dealt with, the employee is sometimes simply not able to bring him or herself to continue to work in the workplace. In last week's episode, we looked at what bullying was and why it is so prevalent in healthcare, including the lab. We took a look at the alarming physical toll the stress and mental anguish of being a bullying victim can take. If you were feeling a little dismayed after that episode, well, I doubt you were alone. But we ended the episode on hope. The hope that we can change all of this. We took a look at an internationally renowned bully-free workplace program developed by the Nova Scotia government and General Employees Union. They are doing their part to stop bullying in the workplace. And that's what we're going to focus on today, making it stop. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. In part one, I referred to the Bullying in the Workplace Handbook, developed by the Public Services Health and Safety Association, or the PSHSA. Incidentally, that acronym hasn't gotten any easier to say. The handbook offers a useful guide to help you determine if you are being bullied at work. So if you've ever experienced challenges with an individual at work, 
I'd like you to reflect back on those experiences for just a moment. Does that person do any of the following? Ignore you or not say hello when you greet them? Put you down either privately or in the presence of others? Actively sabotage you or try to make you look foolish? Spread rumors, lies, or half-truths about you? Treat you like you're incompetent? Overly or unfairly criticize you? Try to intimidate you by interrupting, contradicting, or glaring at you. Give you the silent treatment. Tease, ridicule, insult, or play tricks on you, especially in front of others. Yell, point their finger, swear, insult, or threaten you, or call you names. Do those behaviors sound familiar? I truly hope not. But if you've experienced a few of those behaviors, often or even infrequently, then there are indications you might be experiencing workplace bullying. The more pronounced and severe the behavior is, the higher the likelihood that you indeed are the victim of a bully. I spoke with Ray Geldreich, the Health, Safety, and Wellness Advisor with the Health Sciences Association of Alberta, to get a sense of when they usually get involved in an allegation of bullying. You should recognize Ray from the previous episode. Usually we hear from our members before they report to their managers, so they'll contact us and say, well, this is what's going on, and we will encourage them to, to file a report with the employer. So we'll help them, you know, compile the documentation, tell them what types of behavior they should be recording and tracking, and um, then we can help them, you know, review the policy, um, the, the bullying and harassment policy, and, and help with the reporting to the, the employer. Because, you know, sometimes it's reporting to the manager, sometimes it's reporting through HR, depending on the employer. So we, we work to make that, that process more comfortable um, for the member. It's reassuring to know that support is available before you even begin the formal complaint process. I asked KC to walk me through what that process looks like. So a formal complaint process will typically start with the employee submitting a formal complaint, often in writing, either on their own or at the request of the employer. Um, and it's typically submitted to the employer supervisor or the human resource department, depending on the size of the organization. And from there, the complaint um, is um, reviewed and it needs to be determined who the appropriate person in the organization is to investigate the complaint. Um, this will typically be a member of the management team or a member of the human resource team. Um, but it must be a person who can be impartial, and it should never be someone who reports into the alleged bully. Sometimes, the complaint can be resolved simply by speaking to the parties involved. The alleged bully could be unaware of their actions or even the impact they were having. With this now brought to their attention, they may quite willingly take steps to address their behavior. Even if the behavior is deliberate, many bullies will choose to change their behavior once confronted, fearing the consequences. This is the ideal outcome. After all, most victims of bullying just want the behavior to stop. And so for some complainants, this can be the end of the process. But what happens if the bully denies the allegations? Casey enlightens us. Where the bully, bullying behavior is denied by the bully or it's more serious or widespread within the organization, the process will almost always require that witnesses be interviewed um, in order to resolve the complaint. 
So once all of the witnesses have been interviewed and the respondent has had an opportunity to respond to the allegations, a finding will typically be made. If it's determined that the bully has occur, uh, bullying has occurred, and um, then this would be communicated to the parties and corrective action would typically be taken. That corrective action could be additional training for the bullying or the imposition of discipline, um, including termination in an appropriate case. The discipline phase of the process is usually done behind closed doors, and this can be challenging for the complainant. After all, they've just successfully navigated the rocky waters of a formal complaint process, and they want to make sure something is being done. But oftentimes, that simply can't happen, and for good reason. Ray explains. The employee who made the complaint will, will get a statement back that either the complaint or part of the complaint was substantiated or not. So you'll get some communication there, but you will never generally hear what the consequences were for the party that was uh, found to be bullying um, or, or harassing you. Because again, the, the nature of discipline is it is, it is confidential, right? So um, you might you won't know what happened to them or what the consequences were for the bully, but you should expect a change of behavior. And if you don't see that change of behavior, then you want to um, connect with your union again and make sure that um, whatever it was to correct that behavior is actually ongoing. So any direct discipline placed on the bully will not be in clear view of the person filing the complaint. But that doesn't mean you won't see other possible remedies. Ray continues. Not all of the, I guess, consequences or corrective actions are confidential. So things like, you know, increased worker training on respectful behavior in the workplace, those types of things are very, you know, they're not confidential. They're very apparent in the workplace. Um, You know, team building exercises such as, you know, we're all going to do personality assessments, see how we relate to each other, those types of things. You know, those, those can have a significant effect on the culture of a workplace. They might come out of a bullying and harassment investigation, but they're not confidential. They're very outward or open and, and apparent to everyone. The complaint process sounds relatively straightforward, But bringing forward a bullying complaint can feel anything but easy. Which explains why so many people just don't report it. Some studies suggest the victims endure the bullying behavior on an average of two years before reporting it. That seems far too long. But it's understandable when you look at some of the challenges those bringing forward a complaint may face. Another difficulty that I run into when representing employees who have been bullied is it's an, it's an evidentiary issue. When we talk about bullying, we're often talking about misconduct that is subtle but, cro- but chronic. Uh, so the silent treatment, uh, zealous performance management, acts of exclusion, or the use of a belittling tone. Attempts to gather proof of this type of conduct is often a frustrating experience for employees, and sometimes it can't be done. Uh, And in those cases, it becomes uh, a case of he said, she said, and it makes the option of leaving the workplace and seeking a financial remedy difficult. Um, And it can further compound the issue. And again, it can be very frustrating for the employee. A he said, she said scenario can be an intimidating prospect. 
thinking about whether people will believe you or whether people will take sides is stressful, very stressful. Luckily, we have someone to help. Do you remember Dawn Peters from last week's episode? She was the bully-free workplace facilitator from Nova Scotia. Dawn offers some advice that everyone we spoke to agreed with. Document. So often it's one person's word over another. But if you were begin to document, even if you kept a journal, um, we provide uh, a documentation tool uh, in our programming that is really helpful. Just to because when you're really stressed and upset, um, you know your your thinking isn't the clearest that it could possibly be. The Nova Scotia government and general employee unions program is award-winning for a reason. It's really robust. Don continues and outlines exactly the types of things you'll want to include when documenting. Very simply, so what's the date, time, and location of the event? So document that. And who was it that was involved? Um, Was there any witnesses? Um, Was there any people that witnessed what transpired? Or was it just you and the bully? Um, And and then have them document and describe what the situation or event was. So using words um, as well as not just not just using words to describe this is what happened but things like you know what was their tone of voice um, what were the gestures and hand gestures was there any nonverbal um, things that stood out to you that made that were threatening or you know made you feel not safe um, so and then and then a really important thing to document as well is what was the impact of that event for you. So have them document um, what was the impact on your ability to do your job on that day. Well, I couldn't concentrate for the rest of the day. I had a headache. I had to go home early, or you know, I, I spent 20 minutes crying in the bathroom, or whatever it may be. Right. So you know, and what was the personal impact for you as well? So. You know, did you go home and you weren't able to sleep at, that night? Um, you know, do you have, like, do you, have you acquired stomach issues as a result of it? You know, at, are you depressed? Do you have high anxiety? Have you had to seek medical attention for any of these symptoms? Another unknown factor when you begin the complaint process is how long is this going to take? Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a nice, neat answer to this. The best I could uncover is, well... It depends. That really depends on the complexity of the case. Um, And it also depends on um, the attitude of the employer. So we've seen some where the employers looked at it and said, you know what, you're right. This, this, the behavior of this individual was egregious. We, we didn't respond appropriately. Um, Let's, let's settle this. Let's, let's work together and resolve this right away. Um, to, you know, so it's being resolved in a matter of weeks versus, you know, in some cases where the, the employer was not ready to um, accept that, it, that, that there was an issue and it's being drawn out for, for several years. I'm sure it's easy to picture the big, bad executives of a hospital actively dragging out these types of investigations. That's the way it would be portrayed in the movies, right? Luckily, reality is far less sensational, and it seems, at least from the employers Casey Wazinski has worked with, 
that most employers have good intentions when trying to address these types of issues. Most of the employers that I work with genuinely want to ensure that their workplace is a positive and a safe place for their employees. And they they genuinely care about their employees and want to make sure that their well-being is protected. Um, This makes sense, of course, that not only helps to achieve compliance with legislation and avoid litigation, which everybody wants to do, but people just care about their employees. Um, and taking proactive measures promotes and enhances employee morale, um, and that increases productivity and it reduces absenteeism and overall costs of conducting business. We've discussed the challenges of trying to substantiate a claim of bullying. When it becomes he said, she said, it can get tough. But you know what might make that part of the process a bit easier? A witness. The most important thing to do is to stand by the coworker, um, refuse to betray them and, and get on side with the person who's being bullied. So it, it often is a bit of a divide and conquer game. If you know there are meetings that are happening or there's going to be some confrontation, offer to sit in or be close by when you know that those conversations are happening. If you know it's happening, um, you can provide testimony, either written or verbal, when you know it, it comes forward and there's an investigation. And now in Ontario, there's a requirement to do that investigation. And I do know some groups um, where uh, harassment and bullying has been happen- happening frequently on units where they are gathering together to support that coworker and help them to ask for the behavior to stop. How do we make this part of the workplace culture so it isn't so daunting to report whether you are a victim of bullying or a witness to it? One way is to change the way we look at psychological hazards, to stop looking at them as something apart from or different from physical workplace hazards. Because if we look at them the same, then reporting seems obvious. We'd have a duty to report them. If you look at the Occupational Health and Safety Act, I mean, it, it's every safety is everybody's responsibility. So if you are witness to someone creating an unsafe uh, workplace, psychologically speaking even, um, like, for example, if you went into a work site where you had to wear hard hats and a, a safety harness or whatever and someone wasn't wearing it, you know, it's the, everyone's responsibility to report that. Um, to ensure safety. So if you're standing by and not doing, not reporting what you've seen or experienced, um, you know, it's, you're, you, there's a responsibility there to, to everyone to keep the place safe. And it, it may be easier for someone standing by to report it than the actual person who's being bullied. When I first spoke with Ray from HSAA, we spent a lot of time discussing where some of the conflict in healthcare comes from. Ray was the first and only person I spoke with to bring up a role that he felt often found itself part of bullying issues, in-scope supervisors. I think a lot of times that's because these in-scope supervisors aren't given the skills um, to be successful in their roles. They're, they're promoted because 
they're a very effective lab tech or they're very effective at, you know, they have very good technical skills for the particular job that they do. And they've been very successful at that for a period of time. Yet, where when they're moved into an, um, an in-scope supervisor role, they're expected to have a whole different set of skills in terms of, of coaching, mentoring, um, evaluating staff, all those types of skills. And again, due to a lack of resources in healthcare, a lot of times they aren't provided with the skills to, to um, be successful in those roles um, from the employer. There just isn't the time or there isn't the um, effective mentoring, um, training courses, any of those things to, uh, to give them the skills they need to um, you know, manage relationships with, with the people that they report to in terms of, of making sure that um, discussions are respectful as well as handling complaints um, when it comes to um, staff on peer on peer or staff on staff uh, bullying and harassment. When I heard Ray talk about in scope supervisors, it made total sense. We have often, although anecdotally, heard about the challenges associated with bench technologists being thrust into leadership roles without adequate support or training. In these roles, their technical skills, which got them promoted in the first place, are often not as important as the soft skills needed to effectively manage people. This seems to be a systemic issue in our profession, and we'll examine the subject of leadership and difficult conversations in later episodes. Because the HSAA has identified the challenge with this group of employees, they are able to focus on a solution. Ray continues. We really focus on training uh, in-scope supervisors, so those union members that have those the leadership positions, working leads, that kind of thing. We discuss with them, you know, what their role is, how what effective performance management looks like, what um, bullying looks like, those types of things, as well as how to have uh, difficult conversations um, with their peers, as well as those those people that uh, report to them. said this episode was about stopping the issue. So I'll put that question to you, the listener. How can you stop bullying in your workplace? How can you start to improve the workplace culture so that this behavior isn't accepted and that reporting it is easier? Shifting culture isn't easy, and you will need the support of your employer. And to help you win over that support, let's talk a bit about the business case for improving your workplace culture. I think employers and managers have to understand that there is a cost associated with um, not doing something about bullying. So you're going to see increased absenteeism because of all the mental and physical health issues that we just talked about, Um, decreased work performance. You're going to have workplace errors that could be extremely costly. You could end up with turnover. So we've got uh, recruitment and retention uh, factors that are extremely costly. And some of the research has also shown that healthcare workers, particularly nurses, are actually exiting the profession um, as a result of bullying and harassment in the workplace. So that's uh, an issue for the entire system. So your organization is losing people due to this issue. Good people, most likely. Don helps us quantify the cost of losing these employees. 
we know that 75% of targets, people who are targeted, um, targets of bully, bullying, end up leaving their jobs. Um, so, I mean, that, that would be an organizational issue because the cost of replacing an employee is two to three times that of a person's salary. It's ironic that the employees that are seemingly having a higher incidence of workplace bullying are the very employees that are responsible for the health care of others. Health professionals are charged with the care of others, and yet they're having a detrimental effect on the health of each other. I asked Henrietta if that spills over into the care patients receive. And I don't think we can um, ignore the fact that it, it also becomes then a quality care issue within the healthcare sector. So we've got these healthcare workers who are caring for their patients and their families at those really difficult times in their life. And they're trying to do that by creating a very caring and a supportive work environment. Um, and, and bullying contributes to a, a more hostile environment. So it becomes detrimental to not only the target, but their coworkers who are witnessing it, but also to the patients and family who are, are then getting a lower level of quality of care because of that uh, hostile environment. So really, whether it's for the bottom line, for patient care, or simply for each other's well-being, there is no reason to accept the status quo and allow bullying to persist in our workplaces. Change will have to come from within your workplace. You might be a good place for that change to start. We've looked at the issue of workplace bullying from many perspectives. I asked our experts, is this issue getting better? With all the recent focus on bullying and the larger issue of mental health, I figured we had to have been making some headway. And while it seems we've come a long way, the answer to my question was more nuanced than a simple yes. Here are two perspectives. I think we have a long ways to go. Um, people are recognizing now that it's, you know, that the behavior and that, that bullying is not acceptable. Um, employers are being held accountable for it. So I think we're seeing an increase in reporting, which is good, um, but we're still working on finding better ways to address these issues in the workplace and address them long-term. So are we better off than we were five years ago? Probably because we're seeing more people being held accountable for bullying behavior, um, but it's still a significant concern, especially in the healthcare industry. I can say that overall, I have observed a notable shift in the response of employers to acts of bullying. Um, today, such complaints are generally taken very seriously by an employer. Most workplaces have a zero tolerance policy, whether it's formal or informal. And um, efforts are being made by employers to remedy interpersonal conflicts that may lead to bullying or harassment before the conduct even escalates to that point or the relationships escalate to that point. So we'll see uh, em employers taking more proactive steps in perhaps looking at reassignment or modification of reporting structures where there's just two personalities that just aren't driving. Um, so this is viewed to be now a, a reasonable response um, to preventing bullying in the workplace. And this type of response was certainly much less common five years ago, um, you know, where complaints of bullying were brushed off. 
uh, and the bullying conduct would be labeled as being harmless or all in good fun or normal for any particular industry. So overall, um, from a view of the employer, I see the impact on the employee uh, being less likely to be minimized than it was historically. I find myself unsure as to how to end this episode. The challenges are real and the solutions complicated. So I'll leave this episode as I began it, talking of hope. Here are my hopes for you. I hope you personally never find yourself the victim of bullying in the workplace. If you do, I hope this episode provides you information to help you navigate that experience. I hope if you see bullying in your workplace, you say something. I hope you take a closer look at your workplace culture and what you are collectively doing to make it better so bullying can't grab a foothold there. Finally, and simply, I hope we keep talking. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Editing and technical assistance by Joel Tresini. Administrative support by Ridmilla Minor. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. If you're in the medical laboratory field, you will want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you will earn a certificate verifying professional development hours for listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS.